This is Bill Woods up here in Sun Valley, Arizona, where it's been quite cold at night. Anyhow, I want to uh, wish you a Merry Christmas, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today about angels among us. You know, it's Christmas, and people put a lot of emphasis on how God used his angels to announce the birth of his son, Jesus. And that was wonderful. Can you imagine being out there in the fields like the shepherds did and, and have the angels come and, and uh, surround you with their presence? It would be wonderful. One problem today, though, is that more and more people want to worship angels. Angels are God's messengers and our servants, just like we are supposed to be. Angels are not to be worshipped. In fact, we have been created a little lower than the angels, but we will judge them during the millennium, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. With that in mind, let's see how God uses angels. We read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God, God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, and suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of other angels, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You know, I was thinking about angels, and I, it came to mind again something that I, I think happened uh, in my life. I remember I preached a revival in Zilla, Washington, when I was pastoring a church in Pullman, Washington. This was during the gas crisis of the 1970s when gas stations closed at night. I had to get home after the Sunday evening service. I hoped to find an open filling station between Zilla and Pullman. There weren't any. I was just over halfway home and my gas gauge pegged empty. What now? I just about panicked. But the car kept on traveling until I was in Pullman at the bottom of the hill where I lived. I could walk home from there. I've always felt that an angel pushed my car until I was nearly home. I heard another story about three guys, Don, Tim, and Jim, who were college students from a Midwestern United States college, and they attended the same college or university together. It was in Connecticut. It was Christmas break, 1983, and they were all looking forward to going home for the holidays. Don lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The other two were from Chicago. They traveled by car, finally reaching Indiana. As I said, Don lived in Fort Wayne, and it was... Uh, that night, a bone-chilling cold. The ground covered this with snow from a recent blizzard made everything kind of hazardous to travel. The radio station was repeatedly giving weather updates and warnings advising travelers not to drive. The wind chill factor had reached a record-setting mighty uh, 80 degrees below zero. To get stuck outside would be life-threatening. They finally arrived at Don's house or home in Fort Wayne. 
and because of the severe weather, Don's parents invited Tim and Jim to spend the night before going on to Chicago. But they they wanted to, you know, the boys to wait until the weather improved and it was safer to drive. But these guys were anxious to get home to their own families. After all, it was Christmas Eve. They could get home, they thought, in four hours. They thanked Don's parents for the offer, but decided to brave the storm. Leaving Don's house, they traveled about 30 minutes and reached the access road leading to the toll expressway. Tim's car had done well in the bitter cold thus far, but now began to sputter and lose power. The access road was 11 miles long, built along a hillside, and it was a higher road than the rest of the roads down below. They could see many roads down there, but no other cars were traveling that night. There were no houses within miles. It was obvious that other travelers had heard the weather warnings and chose not to travel on such a dangerous night. Tim's car continued to lose power. Then, with one final sputter and moan, the engine stopped. Their hearts about stopped, too. They were stuck in the middle of nowhere on the frozen road. Soon the inside of the car was freezing cold, and no other cars were anywhere. Nobody could get any help. To walk to safety would mean death. Nobody could survive more than a couple of minutes in this record low temperature. Their feet were getting numb in the cold. They didn't know what to do. In desperation, Tim prayed, Dear God, you're the only one who can help us now. Please help us, dear God. Please help us. Within moments from nowhere, bright lights shone through their windows. How is this possible? They hadn't seen anyone coming and had been watching for any sign of life that they could see at all to get help. Well, a big, strong-looking man approached their car and knocked on the window. Need a tow, fellows? he asked. Excitedly and much relieved, the boys climbed into the warm cab of the tow truck, and the boys used the driver's truck phone to telephone Don's house. They guessed they'd spend the night there after all if they were still welcome. However, they'd need money to pay the driver who rescued them. Don's parents said that they would help with the money. The tow truck driver drove to where Don lived, and they thanked the driver and asked him to wait while they borrowed money to pay him. They ran into Don's house, and Don handed them the money, and they hurried back outside to pay the driver. The tow truck was gone. Don's parents joined them outside, wanting to thank the driver. The boy's car was there, but there was no sign of the tow truck or the driver, nor was there any sign that the tow truck had even been down that road. Neither Don nor his family had heard any sound when they had arrived, even though they had been listening for them. There were no uh, truck tires, uh, no truck tire tracks on the snow-covered road. Uh, there was no tow bill. There was no truck driver, no farewell. No taillights could be seen in the distance. There was no evidence anywhere that a truck had been down that road. The boys had no expl explanation other than the tow truck driver was must have been an angel sent by God to answer their prayer. So I ask you, do you believe angels exist?
I do because the Bible says there are angels, and I believe the Bible is the word of God. Angels are mentioned either directly or indirectly 300 times in the Bible. Millions of angels are at God's command and at our service, ready to do God's will at any moment of the day. His angels are on call all t at all times, 24-7. They, they don't take vacations. They don't take sick days. They don't take holidays off. They never age, and they're always ready and available to carry out God's plans. God's angels are here to help us, and they're prepared for any emergency. Satan has no firepower fire that can match the heavy artillery of God. The Bible says God created angels. Once, no angels existed. There was nothing but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Angels are a part of that invisible uh, creation that things made by God for everything was created through him and for him. The Bible says angels can change their appearance and travel instantly back and forth between heaven and earth below. Hebrews 1.14 calls angels ministering spirits. They don't have physical bodies, but they may take on the form of physical bodies when God assigns them special tasks. God's given them no ability to, re no ability to reproduce, and according to Mark 12, 25, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. John G. Patton felt called to be a missionary. He had completed his education and training, and finally he and his wife, Jenny, moved to the New Hebrides Islands where they'd live the next year in a single-roomed hut. Both John Peyton and his wife were concerned about the obstacles they, were, they knew that they had to face on the islands, such as disease, animals, and fierce natives. Nevertheless, they knew that God was in charge and that they were where God wanted them to be. During their time on this remote mission field, they found many opportunities to teach the local tribes about Jesus Christ. One tribe in particular, though, was known for their fierce fighting, and they grew more and more hostile towards the missionaries with each passing day. For weeks, they had threatened to attack and kill the Patons because they had interfered with ancient tribal traditions and taught their people a new strange faith. Soon the hostile tribe decided to carry out their threats. It was late in the evening of June 23, 1973, that the Paytons sat and listened to the war cries outside their hut, growing louder and louder. They're coming for us, John, Jenny whispered. John nodded and said, pray, Jenny, talk to God, keep praying. John prayed, Heavenly Father, you've commanded to, uh, we come to you in times of need and ask for your intervention. We now ask you to protect us as you have so many times in the past. 
Please deliver us from the danger we're in. In your name we pray, amen. For an hour, the sounds continued. By the end of the hour, the Paytons could see light surrounding their home. Fire, John whispered, handing Jenny, uh, holding Jenny tightly. Keeping, keep praying, Jenny. I think they're going to try and burn us out. Fifteen minutes passed. John and Jenny continued to pray for protection. Suddenly, the screaming began to lessen and, and grow more distant, and the tribesmen were moving away from the Peyton's hut. Finally, the sounds completely disappeared. Three months later, the Peyton's still had no idea why the natives hadn't killed them that terrifying night. Then, in a strange tur turn of events, the chief of that tribe contacted the Peyton's and asked questions about why they were there doing mission work and about Jesus Christ. Shortly thereafter, the chief accepted Jesus as his Savior. John asked the chief, Why didn't you kill us that night? And the chief said, We tried, but your guards wouldn't let us past. What guards? asked John. The chief waved his arms dramatically. Hundreds of guards, big men in shiny clothes with swords drawn and with torches circled your hut. We had no choice, so we left. In the same way, God delivered Elisha and his helper from the armies of the king of Syria. God sent his angels to deliver John and Jenny Payton. <laughs> Second Kings 6, the king of Syria dispatched his army to Dothan, having learned Elijah was there. The prophet's helper, uh, got up and looked all around, and he became terrified and cried to Elisha that the surrounding countryside was filled with many armies and instruments of war. Elisha said, well, don't be afraid. Our army is bigger than theirs. Elisha could see God's army of angels already in place, ready to protect them. Uh, Elisha prayed for God to open the eyes of the helper so he'd see the host of angels there to protect them too. God answered the prayer. The servant's eyes were open, and he could see horses and chariots of fire everywhere on the hill surrounding the city. In 845 B.C., God sent angels to protect Elisha and his helper, and in 1973, God sent angels to protect John and Jimmy Payton, or Jenny Payton. In the same way, God's ready to send a host of angels to protect each and every one of you. Yes, I believe in angels. The Bible tells story after story of angels involved in the work and will of God. In Genesis 32, angels of God met Jacob on his way home, and Jacob declared, this is God's army. In Daniel 5, an angel appeared in the form of fingers of a man's hand and wrote on the wall God's message to King Belshazzar, Meany, meany, tinkle, you farson. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is finished. God was finished with him and with his life, and his life would be required of him that very night. In Daniel chapter 6, God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. In Genesis 18, God used his angels to bring judgment upon wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. His angels were used to first deliver Lot and his family. Two angels visited Sodom to warn Lot to flee from the wrath about to come, and 
The evil men of Sodom wanted to molest God's angels. The angels blinded them to prevent, prevent them from carrying out their desires. Lot, Abraham's nephew, had drifted far away from God's holy standards and had found companionship and wealth in an unholy and sinful alliance with the people of Sodom. Lot turned away from God, and yet God sent his angels to spare his life and assist him in avoiding the consequences of his poor judgment. Man's nature has been to sin since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to notice it doesn't say some have sinned. It says all have sinned. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. Luke 1 tells how the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, telling him that Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, would bear a son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Gabriel appeared again in Luke chapter 1 to Mary with an important message for her and all mankind. He told her some of the most wonderful words written in the Bible, a special message from God to Mary. He said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appeared to Joseph, assuring him that Mary was indeed still a virgin, and she was with child through God, not through another man. Luke chapter 2, God sent angels with news to the shepherds in the fields uh, of nearby Bethlehem that the Messiah had been born. For behold, I repeat again, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, you know, and then God sent an angel to warn Joseph when wicked Herod was out to kill the baby, sent an angel to warn Joseph to take his family into Egypt. After Jesus died on the cross, his body was laid in the tomb. An angel rolled away the huge stone guarding the entrance to the tomb, setting in place the events surrounding the resurrection of our risen Savior. Acts chapter 12. Peter was bound in shackles in prison, awaiting execution. James, the brother of John, had already been killed, and there was little reason to believe Peter would escape the executioner. As Peter lay sleeping, an angel appeared in his prison cell, shook him awake, and said, Prepare to escape. Peter's chains fell off, and he followed the angel out of the prison and to safety. Doors had supernaturally been opened for them. So many times we read God's word and we find he sent angels to minister to the needs of his servants. And he'll send his angels to meet your needs as well, if need be. Have you ever gone through a dark period where you prayed and prayed, and yet it seemed that no help had come? You felt like God had disappeared, and you were all alone to face your trials and burdens? Well, God's message for you is this, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. You're never alone. There are times when God withdraws to test our faith, 
He wants us to trust him in the darkness as well as in the light. Whether or not we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit or one of his holy angels by faith, we're certain God will never leave us nor forsake us. Angels enjoy greater power than men, and they're used by God to do more things than minister to our needs. They're there to do God's will. Sometimes they must be avengers who use their power to carry out God's judgments. God's empowered angels to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. And one of them will one day blow the trumpet announcing impending judgment when God summons all nations to stand before him in the, fat, in the vast last great judgment. The Bible says it took only one angel to slay the firstborn of Egypt in Moses' day. One angel to shut the lion's mouths in Daniel. 2 Kings 19 says that God used angels to execute his judgment. King Hezekiah had received a letter from the commander of the Assyrian forces, and he immediately sought God's counsel through Isaiah. God told Isaiah, tell the king not one Assyrian arrow would be fired into the city. He promised to defend Jerusalem for the sake of David. That night, just one of God's mighty angels struck the forces of the Assyrians camped outside Jerusalem, and the next morning, 185,000 soldiers lay dead. Greater still, the Bible promises that one angel will come from heaven one day with a great chain and bind Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit. How great is the power of just one of God's mighty angels. God created millions of angels, and every uh, Christian has their own personal guardian angel. Psalm 91.11 says, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, it says, this is from King James Version, and I beheld, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How can anyone not believe in angels? Another duty God assigned to angels will affect every Christian. When we face death, it's wonderful to know that God has commissioned angels to escort us to heaven and give us a royal welcome as we enter the eternal presence of God. Even as the angels escorted Lazarus when he died, so too we have the assurance that when we're summoned by death unto life in the presence of Christ, God will send angels to escort us too. God has a purpose and a will for our lives. Although we don't have the power of angels, we actually have a more important role in God's plan of salvation. One last thought. Hollywood often gives the idea that when we die, we become angels and watch over our loved ones that were left behind. That's a lie. You will never be an angel because you are a different creation than they are. You are created in the image of God. Psalms 8, 4 through 6, again King James. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of his hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 
But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. We must realize no angel can be an evangelist. No angel can pastor a church, although angels watch over certain churches. No angel can pastor and no angel can do counseling. We are unique. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. That doesn't mean oddballs. That means spatial people, a chosen generation, and we have privileges even angels can't experience. God's commanded the church to preach. This is the great task reserved for believers only. God uses no other means. Only man can, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, lead another to salvation. Let's commit ourselves to seek, to find, and to do God's will for our lives. Yes, I'm thankful there are angels, but I'm also thankful that God created me as a spatial being that one day can go to heaven and rule with him through all eternity. Praise God. And I want to say today, realizing that God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to become our Savior, I want to say Merry Christmas. Don't get caught up in the things that would take away from the message of salvation. The greatest news that we could ever find out is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for coming into our world. Thank you that you have angels that minister to us in times of need. Thank you, Lord, that we have been created in such a way that, Lord, one day we will be able to, to reign with you in heaven forever. And, Lord, thank you that you've given us the power of choice so that we can choose you because we love you because you first loved us. And, God, if there are those out there that don't know you as their personal Savior, help them today to understand if they confess their sins to Jesus Christ and accept him as their personal Savior they can be saved and their names will be written in the book of life. And what a tremendous Christmas present that is from you to us. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. And I'll try to talk with you again next week.